So we're coming back online in all of our uh, meetings. We already are meeting inside on uh, Mondays, uh, so we'll be, uh, we've already transitioned there. And there will be other meetings that will come online. The Wednesday night meetings will also be live. And uh, so we do Wednesdays as a kind of place for people to get a little deeper with our church relationally as well as get equipped in a certain, uh, certain ways. We have some really odd ways, you know, for most, maybe according to most churches, for us it's quite normal, but to be actually trained to learn how to prophesy, I would think for some churches might be a little challenging, but for us we really like that kind of stuff. And I have a, a class uh, called Life in the Spirit that helps acclimate everybody so they know that we're not doing this just to be weird or odd. We actually take out of the scriptures uh, um, all the things that we teach, and also we have uh, lab time as well. So I teach that Life in the Spirit class, and I do it right in the main sanctuary there. So uh, when you see news of us starting, those classes are on Wednesday nights, and they last for about 11 or 12 weeks in a row. Some of them come a little bit shorter than that. So there's all different kinds of classes. The website will list them all, so you might want to become acquainted with so we'll, they'll start after uh, Easter. So, All right, good. So hopefully everybody has an outline. It should say, At the Crossroads, Entering a new season of grace. And um, so I want to read from Luke 19, verses 28 to 46. As most of you know, this is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, what we mostly know it as, but it's the uh, day of the triumphal entry of Jesus into uh, Jerusalem, and that kicked off a whole series of events that by Friday of the following week had him uh, dying for our sins and crucified, and, and by the week from this Sunday, he actually resurrected from the dead, and the church was birthed. So uh, I want to just uh, talk about uh, Palm Sunday a little bit in this context. I'm going to read these passages, which are very familiar to many of us, but they never get old for me. I love these verses. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untie it? Say, the master needs it. The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. Uh, evidently it was enough. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks along the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, which, by the way, is you can still see today. It's fascinating to be on that road. Just there it goes, you know. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. This is a little bit too much for us. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You did not recognize the time of coming of God's coming to you. Then he goes to the temple. He enters the temple. He began to drive out those who were selling. It's written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. 
yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. I just wanted to add that little part there. I think it's kind of important to understand what happened after he came down the mountain and went to the temple. and He was fulfilling all kinds of prophecy during this time. And so in God's timetable for the world and for our lives, there are special times and seasons when our response to God can change the whole trajectory of our lives. For example, Israel, Palm Sunday, was one of those days. He was announcing out in the open for everybody to see what we know as Palm Sunday. He was announcing that he was literally their long-awaited Messiah King. He wasn't hiding anymore. He wasn't saying in dark say. He wasn't talking dark symbols or sayings. He was literally. This was the day of visitation that the Jews have been waiting for all those years and all those centuries even. On this day, Jesus discarded his normal method of operating discreetly and received the praise of the multitudes. There's great joy in the air, partially because some miracles had been uh, actually uh, happening around this time, including the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which had actually just happened up the mountain just a few days ago. And so many people had heard about this. It was a great and grand miracle. Uh, He was actually in the tomb for several days, and Jesus raised him from the dead. The prophet Zechariah prophesied hundreds of years earlier what the formal revelation of the Messiah would look like as Jesus sat on the colt of a donkey entering Jerusalem. You can see that actually in uh, Zechariah 9.9, and we see it here in these verses. He comes on this colt as he comes in, and it was the proclamation of Jesus as king. So it's so important uh, for us to understand that this was a crossroad of grace. They were entering a new season. And these crossroads come to us many, many times throughout our uh, walk with God, if you walk with God at all. When you first started walking with God, it was a crossroad that you took. I'll never forget this, and I'll be sharing some of my own little experiences because I'm most familiar with myself. So anyway, uh, so uh, i never forget. I, I was raised in this little Presbyterian church, and I was so terrified of being in front of people. And so I didn't want to get baptized cause, just because I wanted to be baptized sometime, but I just was terrified uh, and to stand in front of people. I, I remember that. Maybe some of you are like that. You're just terrified to actually, you want to do something. You would like to give your heart to the Lord, but you're terrified of having to make a big deal out of it or, you know, being in front of people and stuff like that or whatever. But I think it's good for us. And I tell you, I, every bone in my body was quaking and I struggled to get up there, you know. And uh, boy, I tell you, though, when I did it, I I felt, wow, this is the most amazing thing. Why did I wait so long? Because there was a crossroads, and God was waiting, and at most of the headwaters of our salvations, there's a time and a place, There's or maybe a season, where we turn when we come to know the living God. Maybe there's some here that are in that place. You're just sort of getting interested in God, or you feel like maybe God's interested in you. And you're not sure what quite to make of it. You're a little bit intimidated. Coming to gatherings like this still maybe uh, make you a little bit of uneasy. You know, you know, you're okay with God, but not sure about His people. <laughs> All the weirdos waving ba- branches and singing at the top of their lungs or whatever. You know, it makes you uncomfortable. And oh, now, I was raised in this Presbyterian church, man. And man, I tell you what, we didn't breathe. We just like, I, I think sometimes we'd go in that church and it lasted exactly 59 minutes. You know, I knew when it was going to be over because I fall asleep on my dad's uh, arm about 15 minutes before it was, you know, over because that's when the sermon started. And then I would wake up suddenly, you know. So we just, you know, there was these exact things, uh, you know, and it was fine with me because uh, I didn't want to see or be known. But when that day, when I finally volunteered to get baptized, uh, 
I was surprised at <clears throat> the crossover. I was surprised uh, of how scared I was. And then after I got done, I was surprised of why I was so scared. And then I was surprised that actually it took, that actually making that decision, just taking those few steps, somehow was like this. It, it was a, a change. It was something happened as an act of faith. When Jesus did this, there was something going off in the heavens in God's uh, timetable. So in this crowd, interestingly enough, there were voices of praise. People are literally worshiping God. It says in verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And then they start shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waving these branches, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. However, there was not just happy voices, but there were actually some angry voices as well. And uh, which ultimately, uh, those voices ultimately ended up killing uh, Jesus, right? And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So there was amazing joy in the air, but at the same time, there was these people that weren't so happy about the whole thing, right? And uh, sometimes that's the way it is in our life. But the most important thing is that we have time and space to release our faith. So like today, when I ask you to raise your hand or stand up for healing, you know, we're not trying to make anybody conspicuous. We're just actually giving you an opportunity to exercise your faith. For some of you, like me, when I was younger, you know, that might, being conspicuous in a church might have been the most terrifying moment of your whole life. You know, you just did not want to be conspicuous, especially at church, right? But uh, but it's so important uh, that we, we learn to respond uh, to those moments. And uh, just a little moment, if you think back on it, raising my hand, big deal. Standing up, big deal, you know. There's other people doing it, but it's a big deal. But what is it that holds us back from these times, this fear, when it's so simple we know and are natural? Well, I think there is someone on the other side of you, uh, the devil himself, sometimes demonic things, and sometimes just our own flesh that just does not want to be conspicuous. And maybe he's not quite certain of where we're at anyway <laughs> in the whole dialogue. It seems on this day that people are either for or against on this day. But then, could I just suggest to you that actually few people understood the true gravity of the day for the nation of Israel. They didn't understand what was really going on, what was really happening. So Jesus announces this as if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. He understood that they didn't really receive him. They were excited about the miracles, there was, but there was an, a, a rumbling. He understood in the intelligentsia and the leadership. And really, whatever they were experiencing was about that deep, except for some of his critical disciples. And so he knows what's about to happen. He says, you know, if you'd only known... Now, interesting thing. On this day, what would bring you peace? It's amazing how many decisions we make that affect the trajectory of our life. It's amazing. Many of us could point to, for example, a job that we took that changed the whole trajectory of our life, you know, and we built a career out of it, you know, but you remember that day when you were hired, you remember what it felt like and so on. So we can understand that well enough, but in our spirit there are these transactions that go on all the time, be it done to you according to your faith, Scripture says. So it's so important that we make good transactions with the Lord, faith-filled transactions, because without faith it's impossible to please God. And the very word faith 
suggests there may be something risky involved. Something risky. It might be simple or it might be far more complex, more difficult. But he said, if you on, had, on, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. So this day was a swing day representing other things that had already been happening in the hearts and minds of the people. But now it is hidden from your eyes. He suddenly appears and then he knew that darkness was about to come. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. He knew that as a result of the decision they were making that day and what was going to happen in the ensuing week, that the destiny of the nation was at hand. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. About 40 years later, Israel was completely destroyed, even as Jesus uh, prophesied. And Israel didn't return again as a formal nation in full strength until just recently, right, in our time, which makes our time a very strange time. That, too, is a very unusual time. Times and seasons in God are very unusual for a land that didn't have a land for 2,000 years to suddenly reappear in Israel and become a land. Where in history has that ever happened? And I tell you, it's not just history history. It is spiritual history. Battles between angels and demons and the effect on it affects the entire earth because of Jesus, because of the calling on Israel and so on. And he says, what's going to happen? They'll dash you to the ground with you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is so important to recognize the time of God's coming to us. Ecclesiastes declares there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. The implication is that God oversees everything in a just way, yet allows us to make our own choices. So when he says there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, it's not like history just unfolding by itself. God's guiding it. And somehow or another, he manages in a mystery, really, to let us have our free will and at the same time bring the whole world to a destination, right? And so this is amazing. So there's a time then for everything, and there's a time to be born. This baby was a time. It's a marker in their lives, right? Hopefully there's other little markers that come along, you know, but it's a marker. Sometimes when I dedicate children, I understand that it's a marker for our church. So, and I understand what it means, right? Today it means more babies. <laughs> really? No, I'm not kidding. More babies. So uh, all you young families there and uh, uh, older adults that have young fa uh, adults, make sure they start having kids. <laughs> I'm serious. Have lots of babies. Multiply. So we make our choices, but God oversees. And uh, so I like that. There's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the, uh, under the heavens. When we discern what God is doing and adjust to it, we find ourselves flowing with God and receiving a great blessing. Now, on Palm Sunday, if we look at Matthew 21, 5, we, we find out some other th little things, little tidbits that are important. Matthew 21, uh, verse 5. So again, we see him untying the colt. The colt comes. See, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. 
Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so actually that's prophesied that he would actually come on a donkey, right? But the thing is, notice these words, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. So the true revelation of Palm Sunday was a gentle father offering his love and peace to his children. That's what was in God's heart. That's always what's in God's heart. That's what he wants. But when you make choices that are opposite of that and you choose the other guy, then he makes life pretty miserable for everyone. And so we see, as a result of their choice, Jesus has to say a few other things because he knew in his spirit that it was done. And look what he says about this. He comes in peace. It was a formal declaration, I'm coming in peace. Will you receive me? And then he realizes they didn't make the choice. A few of them were happy and waving branches. Maybe they had remembered what he had done and as he raised Lazarus from the dead. But in their heart, there was something. In the heart of the intelligentsia, in the heart of the people, something hadn't moved like it needed to. They hadn't received him. So he says a few couple of chapters later, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Isn't that interesting? Now, how does that work? God wants to gather you like a mother hen. He wants to love you. He wants his kids. He, that's him. That's not the other guy. But he leaves us to make our choice. And that, too, is a loving, amazingly respectful thing. Look, he says, your house has left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you see, say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow. So a whole group of people are not going to see him again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Honestly, as history is unfolding today, we are seeing that in the 21st century unfold in front of our eyes. More Jews are coming to Christ than ever have in the history of the planet, history of Christianity, including in Israel. There's a Messianic movement in Israel that's coming alive with the Messianic Jews from the Eastern Europe and from Russia. It's, uh, uh, un, un, it's astounding. It is, I have a friend there that uh, has planted eight churches already, and uh, the ones that have uh, borne the heat of the day and the Jews that are there haven't cracked much, but these new arrivals are causing a new day in Israel, but it's a new day for Jews around the world. It's funny, every once in a while I run across the rabbi over here, and I usually run across him at the most inopportune moment when I'm least expecting it, you know. And then we have this little bit of discomfort, you know, and then we start talking, right? When we get on politics, we're great, man. We can talk all day long. But we don't get too close to Jesus and other things yet, but we pray for him all the time. But actually, he has no idea what has happened. He thought he was just renting space. But he rented was a prayer army praying for his salvation and his congregation every single day of his life. <laughs> That's what he really rented. <laughs> and someday he will know, and I will see him in heaven, and I will see the others. But for now, we're being hospitable and respectful, actually, of our Jewish friends. And it's important, uh, you know, uh, for us to do that. This is uh, a really important thing. So 
God wanted to come like a gentle father, but he ended up having to say, you know, uh, it's going to be a while. So Mary, sister of Lazarus, had a true, Lazarus had a true revelation of Jesus the night before as she wiped his feet with her hair in worship. It's an amazing thing. In contrast, the callousness of most Israel sent them to their destruction. But it's worth just actually reading these verses. I love these verses because I think this is what a true Christian looks like. It's not just that you made this decision and you got past the line of destruction and you made it and you got your fire insurance in there, you know. Matter of fact, if that's all it is for you and you're, uh, it's a good place to start, but it's a horrible place to end because there's so much more than that. And one of the most dramatic things that's more is love. Love. God brings love. God brings love that you can't imagine. Unexplainable love. Amazing love. Into the, into the equation. This love is supernatural, so it's not even like human love. It's beyond that. Supernatural love. And this, this girl was experiencing it. So how to describe it? Well, let's just read a few verses here because this is what Jesus was after. He was after people who loved him like this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of Purinard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And of course, someone there wasn't on the same page, Judas Iscariot. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? That's what you call a religious spirit. Now, as we're going to see, I love the poor, but you can get religious about anything. A religious spirit was there operating, you know, because they knew that was important to God, but... Jesus wasn't, I guess, right? And so he turned him in. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. What an amazing thing that Jesus would even have put up with that. But he let the whole thing play out because he knew even Judas had a purpose. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You know what that is? That's a direct invitation to a glorious life with God. Not that you just accepted Jesus, you took care of a few things, you got your attitudes right, basically in line, you're not cheating at work anymore or cheating on your wife, whatever it is. But there's so much more. This woman obviously was overcome with something, but it was the very Spirit of God. This is the picture of Christians. This is who we are. This is really who we are. This love, this undaunted love, this overwhelming love that the Spirit gives for Jesus, this relationship this bride and groom relationship, which is so real, and God wants to give. That's the grace that God wants to give. Not only that we get our ticket punched for heaven, but that we enter into this new and living relationship that includes emotions and uh, activity, just like it would be between a healthy marriage, between a bride and a bridegroom, or between a father and his children. We can't ignore what Jesus is doing at the present time. Navigating this season requires faith, revelation and tenderness but it's a new day this is the day for giant miracles and wonderful grace so seasons change the season's about to change in the United States of America the season is changing all over the world so what is on the other side of it if you are all trapped and, uh, and it's easy to do by the way I get there myself by the politics of the day, get yourself out quickly because there's bigger game to roast. 
there's bigger things afoot than a nasty party, whichever one's nasty for you. <laughs> and believe me, I have plenty of emotion regarding this, but I have now back under control. <laughs> I haven't changed my mind about a thing in that way, but I'm seeing something bigger, something better. And this is important. We can't ignore what Jesus is doing at the present time. We just had a plague of major proportions. <laughs> I say had. It's still trying to sneak up on us, but I watch it every day, and I'm praying those numbers down every day, and I hope you are. And thank God Orange County is doing better and better. But this season that we're in requires faith, revelation, and tenderness. This is the day for giant miracles and wonderful grace. I was thinking about this, and I'm just going to mention a few ways I think the Lord is releasing grace over us. And I, I've had many crossroads in my life and, of course, uh, in my ministry as well, crossroads that have evolved many of you, directly or indirectly. And uh, I was just thinking, I kept seeing the word today because it felt like to me something that happened to me years ago. I kept seeing the word silent mourning. And I saw two words, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G and then M-O-R-N-I-N-G. So we're in that sort of weird place where we're sort of mourning some things that have happened, but we're also at the M-O-R-N-I-G and I, how do you spell that? I-N-G place, mourning place. That's really important. And it may look like it's little, but it's not little, it's big. Because the dawn is dawning, the sun's coming even as we speak. It's going to be important that we all get on board with that because it's going to start moving pretty fast because there's changes that are coming. I'll never forget this. Uh, I, f I tell you, this is the strangest thing. I felt this this morning, and I, I was thinking, why am I feeling this way? When have I felt this before? I kept thinking there was a distant memory, and I remembered when it happened to me the last time I had this. I even wrote a newsletter about it. So I had... Uh, been involved with Cambodia, and uh, Cambodia uh, was under siege, and most of the believers that we knew there died during the 80s. And it was very sad, you know, these wonderful Christians who had come to the Lord just before the Khmer Rouge and the Vietnamese, and now they're all dead, most of them, except <clears throat> for one. And I remember it was the day, Eddie, when we went to John Wimber's office, which was another season of change preceded by the time on your living room floor on Tuesday or whenever it was. <laughs> that was quite a week, by the way. But just before I went uh, to John Weber's office, and many of you know that history, uh, my friend calls me. I hadn't heard from him in years. He calls me in broken English. He could barely speak English. And he said, Pastor Mike, <laughs> we go back to Cambodia now. And my first thought was, hey, there's still some problems there, isn't there? <laughs> He said, no, it's okay, okay, okay. We go now. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, oh, he said one other thing. I had a dream. And by the way, whenever he had a dream, it was always like, every time he had a dream, something was serious. And it usually involved me at that time. So, so man, oh, man. I had, he has this dream, right? And so I found myself in Cambodia. And uh, we never stopped. Uh, we found ourselves in Cambodia a few months later. And uh, when I went there, I remember the way it felt, the atmosphere. It was a silent morning. It was as if, you know, those people lost millions. Millions were killed brutally. 
when we started the church, we could hardly get through a service when we did the uh, altar call. I thought I was having a great altar call because everybody was weeping and mourning and, you know, and crying. I thought the Holy Spirit was really touching. And what they were really doing is crying their eyes out because of the pain of their life. And so the church was an M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, but it was also, there was this hope. You could feel the dawn. You could feel a new day. You could feel something beginning to change in those people's lives. Most of them had lost all their family. They were the only survivor. And there was something changing. So it feels the same way to me. A silent morning. There's a you know, a, a sadness about the things we've had to go through in the last year. But here's a hint. We didn't go through them alone. The entire earth went through this. <laughs> so like, okay, you don't have to be too prophetic to understand something serious is going on. More kids. <laughs> something serious is going on. So COVID-19 and the circumstances surrounded have suffered, softened multitudes of people and have opened them to the gospel. This is true for your next-door neighbor and for many nations, including India. And uh, I've been speaking mostly about India uh, a lot because I am just so flabbergasted. I hated India for years and years because it's the most despicable, broken, hard place I've ever been, and I never dreamed that it would have a revival, and then by the time I heard there might be a little one, I didn't want any part of it. It's just so bad. Bad between the believers, bad everywhere, right? And all of a sudden, we began to see India change. India, during this COVID virus, is actually, the gospel has flourished, grown to a place we never imagined. And uh, just even our own little involvement in it is responsible for 80,000 new believers, 550 church, churches, and the people that we financed preached the gospel to over a million people, almost a million people. Sorry, I don't want to exaggerate. Almost a million people. What an amazing thing. So for us there, if it can happen in a place as dark as India, at least I thought India was. Matter of fact, I just gave up on India and was happy to stay in Cambodia for a long time. And if Cambodia hadn't shut down again because of that brutal dictator they have, I'd probably wouldn't pay too much attention, but I'm glad I did, and I'm glad I turned it, because there is the most amazing thing happening. But the thing that's going on here, and this is the key thing, there is a worldwide move of the Spirit that's happening right now in the nations, unparalleled, coming soon even to our nation, but in proportions that nobody could imagine. Can you imagine our church being responsible just by financing and learning. What we did was we saw the fire, we, but we had a structure to it. So the change that's happening in the earth is not only that multitudes are coming to Christ, but there are apostolic figures rising who God gives a download of structure and sense to, a sense of business, a sense of organizational ability, and at the same time, a sense of spiritual vitality. And putting those two together are causing modern-day apostles that are causing uh, the entire earth to come alive. You watch and see on the subcontinent right now, this is where the gospel is resting with great might, India, Pakistan, and then moving to the Middle East. And that is starting now. It is now going. In our area where we work, one of the states is almost completely Muslims, and Muslims are coming to Christ just like Hindus. That's a sign of what about to happen. But not only there, but all over the earth. 
And here is going to be, I think, what we're going to have to get ourselves set up for because it's going to be marvelous. And I'm not just talking about overseas. That's nice. And I like it because it's a lot of fun. There are certain things that happen there that don't happen other places I go, and it's a lot of fun for me, and I have a calling there, so it's a lot of fun. But here, now, in our own day, in our own place, your neighbors, your friends, your relatives, don't give up on your relatives now. Now's the time. I don't care what they look like during COVID. I don't care what they seem like, their attitudes politically this way or that. I don't care. There was so much pain that came across the world, it's thrown them off balance. It's thrown the entire world off balance. The entire world is off balance. And when the world is off balance, this is the time when we go. Because there's no more hardness. There may not be softness, but there's, it's silent mourning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G. I want to prophesy over even your sons and daughters that look hard to the Lord. You're going to see a new openness to them. They may have picked up some political views or some crazy views, contrary, but the basic heart attitude, the thing they're going to need to know Jesus is in place and is growing. So I ran across this story, and it's a very cool story. It's the story of Elisha, the great prophet. You know, there's Elijah, and then there's the prophet Elisha, who was his successor. So Elijah's quite a character. Elisha, as Elijah's about to leave the scene, who, you know, did just a few things called down rain from heaven, killed all the prophets of Baal, <laughs> raised people from the dead, just a few miracles in his life, you know. And then Elisha comes along. So you would think, this is the greatest prophet, really, probably, that Israel had ever seen, at least in terms of manifestations of power. And so, uh, so Elisha comes along, and the first thing he does is he says, you know, because he knows, because all the prophets knew that Elijah was about to die. So when Elijah told him he was about to die, told Elijah, he wasn't any surprise, but he kept telling Elisha not to come with him. He says, I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving. He didn't leave for a reason. He'd, he would not leave his side. He was going to be there till the day he died. He, was gonna, he made sure he was going to, all the prophets said, your master's going to die, but he would not stop. He, he kept coming, he kept coming because he knew he wanted something and he asked for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. <laughs> That's what he was after. So, he's about to die now in this story. Elisha. Now, when he wanted to double the anointing, he prayed for double anointing. I want not only what you got, Elijah, but I want twice what you got. Now, this is the right attitude. So, whatever revival you ever heard about in another part of the world, say, I want twice for the United States of America where I live. I want double. This is the right attitude. This is the right way to be. This is the right way for the season. The morning may be silent, but it's about to get noisy. Like the warehouse is about to be in a couple of minutes. <laughs> nice and quiet, like 9 o'clock, and then, all, then it, goes, it goes nuts. I love that. Anyway, Second Kings 13. So he's about to die. Now look what he does. So just remember, things in the natural come from the spiritual. Thank you for that breeze, Lord. I appreciate it. <laughs> Verse 18. He says to this king, as he's about to die, Elisha's about to die, and the king is mourning because he's thinking, oh my gosh, my meal ticket's gone. You know, this is the Elisha that's you know, keeping the enemies at bay and telling them where they're, where they're going to be and giving me comfort and help in this whole horrible time of warfare. Take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. Now wait, let me go, I'm going to go further. This is even better. I'm going to go to verse 15. He said, Elisha said, uh, 
So Joash knows he's going to die. So Elijah says in verse 15, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elijah said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, their, their enemy. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have completely de- defeated, then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it, but now you'll defeat it only three times. How is he supposed to know? <laughs> That's your first thought. But now you know. When things begin to happen, we have the famous vineyard prayer that works better than any prayer I know. Anybody know what that prayer is? More. more. We want more. We're not too smart, but we know what more is. Or maybe we don't. But if you get inundated enough and you see enough miracles and see enough crazy stuff happen, you get hooked. So whenever you see a little, you want more. This is the time for us for more, not less. More, not less. This is a new season. For a fresh revelation of the Father's love that sustains the core of your own soul. Don't stay broken. Just let the Father love you and hug you. You're about to gain. You're about to get double for your trouble. But even if it doesn't happen for a while, the Father's doubly interested in comfort you, encouraging you, loving you, talking to you about your life. He didn't disappear. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, my. It's a new season, a fresh revelation of the Father's intimacy and care for us. It's also, at the same time, a time for strong personal relationships to develop as we weather the storm together. Proverbs 18.24 says, "Is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, that's happened to us. That's one of the outgrows. Many of us made friends. We drew closer to certain people. And there's others that are coming into our life. As God brings his love into our soul, there's this befriending, carry each other's burdens. And this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. This is fulfilling the law. This is what we do. But I'll tell you something else for me right now. I told Janice the other day, I, I don't understand, you know, what, what's going on, you know, with me. I, I keep feeling sorry for people all the time. I just look at a person walking down the street, I feel sorry for them, and I can't re- know why. I just feel sorry for them. I feel bad. Sometimes I know what's going on, sometimes I don't. Do you feel that? that that's compassion. That's that compassion that's being released, and not only does that go vertically, but it goes horizontally. So we're in for a new season of personal friendships and relationships. The ones that we hung out with during this time and the new friends we made, we're all brothers, we're all sisters, we're all in this place. New relationships, people that we've known for years, the relationship's going to come alive. People that we don't know very well are going to become our friends. There's a new time for friendship and belonging. That's what's happened. That's part of this silent M-O-R-N-I-N-G. The isolation was hard. And now we're coming back together again, not only corporately, but individually. What a wonderful thing. This is a time for supernatural healing as we minister the brokenness and pain of the world around us and receive great blessing in return. Could I just say this to you? And um, as you know, we have some social issues that have not uh, been cleared up, especially in California. Matter of fact, the only thing I don't like about Fox News is they're always mocking California. And we deserve it but we don't deserve it. It's my state. (laughs) 
So my family might deserve it, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It just stirs me a little bit. Don't curse my, my state. By the way, this state has been counted out more times than you can imagine. Oh, those hippies. Oh, those are all the draft dodgers. Look how violent they are. <laughs> yeah, but also the birthplace of so many great revivals and movements of God. From Amy Mc, Simple McPherson to the Jesus people to the Vineyard to all the other Calvary chapels, all the rest of it's amazing. So, I just say though, as part of our characteristic, and I'm hoping that other churches are getting a hold of this, I just want to say this to us. This is Isaiah chapter 58. And so I believe that this is a time when we're going to minister to this more now than ever. Um, this true fasting. I believe that as we look at this day of, you know, post-COVID-19, it's so important that we understand there are certain things that God really wants to do through us. And if we will do these things, even the things I've already mentioned already, the, the uh, Elisha and the arrows thing, the, the love, the personal relationships, and so on and so forth, there's something that I believe as a principle, if we will give out love, we will get it back. If we will give away healing, if we'll give away things, the Lord will bring a speedy healing back to us. So what's important now is that we don't get into receiving mode, right? Too much, too far, especially while there's lots of broken people around us. In other words, we want to be givers during this time, but it will cement the receiving that you need in your life. So here it is. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free? See, now our state is desperately and our country's desperately trying to figure out how to take injustice, trying to how to deal with the oppressed and the homeless and the broken and the drug addicts and the rest. They're trying to figure out how to break every yoke. They're throwing lots of money at it, lots of things at it, but we have the answer. It's the supernatural power of God. So we could say that glibly with our mouth and smile at it or whatever, but the question is, do you actually do it? Do we actually get involved? Do you actually get involved with the homeless and the broken? One thing's reason why we have this warehouse is I wanted it so more than anything else because I wanted a practical expression where anyone could get involved anytime with regard to this very thing we're talking about because we see the loneliest and the most broken people. And so we need all hands on deck to work in the warehouse, to volunteer, to help people find homes and places, for you to volunteer a room for maybe a 25-year-old that's lost their job, anything like that. These justices are big. If we'll take this advantage to sow and give what we can in these issues, you'll see something happen to your own personal life that you can't imagine. When you sow toward weakness and bringing justice to our country, being the light on a hill, which is what God is calling us to, the world is in complete confusion about this. They're throwing millions and millions of taxpayer money at it. And it's partly helpful, but that's not the real thing. We deal with the homeless and people every day. They have to make a personal decision for Jesus and make a change uh, with Him because supernatural power is the only thing that will turn that drug addiction. It's the only thing that will turn the brokenness of their life and the, the lack of confidence and all the rest. They need Jesus, but they also need pra practical help along the way. They need someone to give them a hand to show that they really love them. So they need both and we can do it and that's what we must do. This is the time. This is a time for us to minister the brokenness and pain 
and receive great blessing in return? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? If not now, when are you going to do that? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. You see it? Whose light? My light. Where do you need light? And your healing will quickly appear. Where do you need healing? Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer for that job you need, for that opportunity, for that lost loved one. You will cry for help and he'll say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger of malicious talking, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your light will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. Talk about prophetic words. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Wow. All that giving. But notice as we sow all that, what comes back on your own head. You know what I think? You just need to be open to stuff like this. Don't think you've got to make a heroic response. Just do little responses. Just start to respond. Give an extra five bucks to someone that you know good and well is going to spend it the next minute for alcohol. I don't think about those things anymore. I think larger things like how are we going to house them and how much it's going to cost and if they're ready and we, we try. So we've moved into all kinds of dimensions now. Dimensions I never wanted to go or thought I would go on, but oh, I've been spurred on by the Spirit. So we're moving into homeless areas and being a part of that answer. It's an amazing thing. And God's given us the resource and the intelligence and the guidance to do it. And we will do it. Because you can't outgive God. You keep saying, oh man, that was a lot of money to give away. <laughs> it comes back on your own head. This is the day for giant miracles and wonderful grace. You sow and you will reap. But right now when we sow, it's when our nation is teetering, when there's so many problems. When we sow now, it's, it's like high-yield seed, I'm telling you. It's high-yield seed. And we're experiencing this all over the place in our church itself. It's crazy what's happening. We've never done so well financially. And we're, we're praying and fixing and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, it's amazing. God's bringing it back on our own head. You can't give enough right now. I'm telling you. Hard to believe, but this is the day. Silent morning. This is a day for families to rediscover one another. I hope that's happening in your family. You should expect it. The weakness makes Uncle Joe a little easier to handle sometimes. Or maybe that son that maybe didn't want to talk to you anymore. Check him out. You might be surprised. This is a time for standing for truth wherever it takes us. When place has taken us is we've got to get our kids back. I didn't want to get involved with school again. We did it before, but now I'm in with both feet. All the way to eighth grade next year. <laughs> 140 of the rascals. And I don't know exactly how I'm going to take care of them all, but we're going to do it. So one thing you'd be praying for me about is uh, I submitted a whole bunch of plans we did to the city now they're looking over the vision. It includes all kinds of reconstruction of the backside of our of, of building and over here, all kinds of redoing of this space, everything. We're doing it. We're going for it. You know why? Because it's time to take our families and our education back. It's time that we do this. We have to stand for truth. 
We have to help our kids stand for the truth. We've got to put them in an environment so they can make the decision themselves later instead of being exposed to the worst things possible. This is just one area of other areas we need to stand for the truth. We need to stand for it in a way that's selfless. That's the difference between truth that's being stood up for today and not really stood up for in the Lord's way. The Lord's way is we do it in a selfless way. We do it because it, and it costs us something. And if we're standing and we're yakking our mouth, you know, about, oh, oh, how the education system's going this way or that way, we just put our money where our mouth is and we go do it. We do what we say. We do what we believe. We don't just say it. We don't just make nice philosophical statements uh, and, and, and fascinated by the, the politics of it. We do it. And that's the time. Stand for truth. And God will give each one of you different ways to stand for the truth. You stand for the truth all for your whole, everything you've got because this is the season to do it. Whatever form, whatever shape that takes, the most significant for me is in this area of education. But there's other areas, many, many other areas. If truth was ever needed to be told, now it's now the time. And we need to be standing and unashamed in every way in Jesus' name. This is also, lastly, a new day for the power of a green prayer. Wow. Prayer has carried us so far I'm fascinated by this one kind of prayer, though, and I'll finish on this. I call it a green prayer. It's, you'll hear me say this over and over again because I'm, I'm just shocked. I, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and he's a business person, and we were talking, and he says, man, he says, he says I, I just, I, I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm so shocked. We pray and agree in that meeting, and things happen in my business, and it's just, a, it's going nuts. And I bring it, and he says, I, I, he says I, I'm, I don't care whether I'm on the road or here. I, I'm not missing one of those. Well, so that meeting isn't the issue. The issue is agreeing prayer, agreeing with somebody about your situation and covenanting with them. One of the most effective things you can do is find you a prayer partner and pray over stuff together and watch over it. This is why. It's right here in front of us. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So this gathering isn't that we just gather together and through some prayer requests. It's that we covenant together. And so when I pray for you, I'm, I'm continuing to pray. I do it in the meeting, and then I keep following up. I keep remembering. I carry you around when I'm walking down the road, when I'm driving on the highway. I carry you. I carry you. Come up in my spirit because I'm agreeing with you, because I know there's about something. There's a breakthrough coming. And I know when you pray for me, there's a breakthrough covenant. So we have these things that are going on. And this agreeing prayer is a time like never before we're going to see answers to prayer we can't imagine. Amen. Amen. So I was just thinking as I'll close here, Janice had this dream. She had a long, long time ago. And she dreamed that uh, we were flying over Cambodia uh, together and we were looking at... Uh, and, and she knew that there was terrible danger down there, and uh, and there was you know uh, all, you know lots of killing and stuff. And uh, and but we were someone in some vehicle, that she, you know, some kind of airplane or thing, and we were flying over. And she heard Paul Kane speak to her. Everywhere you place your foot, sons will be born into the kingdom. Which I suppose meant by extension. Uh, that would happen, be true of Cambodia. So not many years afterward, uh, Janice and I went to Cambodia, and uh, 
we had the most bizarre thing happen because the church was just getting off the ground in Phnom Penh, but there was these regions that nobody knew about what happened to them because they were in areas that were malaria-infected. They were in the north, and nobody had been there. And we had an opportunity together with the team to get on a Vietnamese helicopter. Actually, it was an American helicopter swiped by the Vietnamese. <laughs> oh, no, it was Soviet. That's right. Sorry. They swiped American, but also the Soviet. That's right. Soviet. That's right. I, can't, I forgot about that. That's why I was so darn uncomfortable. It was oh, the worst ride I ever had. But So here we, we, she had that dream before. And then we, uh, a couple of years later, we find ourselves in this weird position of flying way up in the north with a bunch of people in this huge helicopter, and the door is wide open, like you could jump out and parachute. And we're flying to Cambodia. And as we're flying, I'm flying through Cambodia over minefields, because it was still heavily mined. And then we landed in this really remote area and claimed it for Jesus and, and did all that. But she reminded, reminded her uh, today, as I was telling her about this new season of grace, she said that at the time, the Lord was telling her there was a new season of grace coming over Cambodia, and we would be able to fly over the land again, and we did. And uh, so numerous churches have been planted there. But this word, and I'm going to end with this, everywhere you place your foot, sons will be born in the kingdom. That sounds like a great marching order for the church. And it's not that far out of reach. If I would have said that maybe a, a year ago, maybe two years ago, people are going to... Yeah, okay, big deal, you know. <laughs> but it's silent morning. We can still feel the pain of the last season, but we just begin to peep out at the season ahead of us. So it's M-O-R-N-I-N-G also. And there's new possibilities for where we place our feet. When we go, we become God's representative. I had this Hispanic guy come over to my house and he wanted to trim my palm trees. And I didn't know what to think of it. You know, I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't know how this truck will, I don't know. How are you going to do that? They're 50 feet up there, you know. But the Spirit spoke to me. No. Welcome into your life. And I went, what? <laughs> okay, I don't know how far this is going. So we walked around, you know, and I looked at the palm tree and said, okay. How much? And he gave me a great price. So I said, okay, fine. So he did it. In a few minutes, they were done. Now, my palm trees are hot. You know how that works. And everything's crashing down, but he got it all, put it up. I can't believe he had one pickup. That was it. So I thought, wow, that was interesting. So, like, I had briefly mentioned to him that we had some pine trees at church. Now, in before COVID, I probably wouldn't have even thought about it said, no, no, you know. But I just mentioned it to him. So he shows up again at my house and says, you know, I would like to do those pine trees. I said, I got like 23 of these, and they're really high. You're going to do that little pickup? And I said, I got cousins. I got lots of cousins. <laughs> so I was so busy, and I think, oh, no, there's no way I'm going to get a price quote unless I bring him over. And then I heard that word again. No, open your heart to him. Just open your heart. So I okay. So I said, follow me. So we went down. Now, so we went to all his things. His eyes got bigger and bigger. And I said, you sure you can handle it? Yeah, I can handle it. I said, I got lots of cousins. Okay, good. You're going to need them because this is going to take a while. So anyway, so we came over, but then I did something that's uncharacteristic of me. And this is what I'm hoping you guys will do and we'll all do. I go, this guy came into my life for a reason. I just 
like I told you, I keep feeling sorry for everybody. You know, <laughs> so I'm feeling sorry for this. So you know, so I see Mauricio, and he's got a little group of he's discipling of men. So I never would have done this before, but I grabbed him and I said, "Hey, come on over here. I want to show you this little Bible study we're doing here." So Mauricio gets out of his Bible study. They start talking together, having this great conversation and everything, you know. And so that guy is hooked. He's in my sights. He's on. I can't hardly speak English to him, but he's on our sights. And I said, "Look in here. See this tent? They meet here every Sunday, and it's so easy to invite Hispanics to church right now. Just right after, you know, in the afternoon here, right?" So that's what I'm talking about. Everywhere you place your foot, whether it's a Hispanic guy coming to clean your palm tree, or somebody that's coming to do your plumbing, or somebody that's you're involved with in some way. Maybe you're playing racquetball with them or whatever. Every place you place your foot, sons will be born into the kingdom. Paul Cain spoke that in the verb, the word audibly, but I think it was an audible word from the Lord. That's who it was. And that's an audible word for us today. Let's all stand. So Lord, I just declare a new season of grace over you. May God bless you when you go in and when you go out. May your businesses flourish. May your families flourish. May your witness flourish. May everywhere where you place your foot, whether it's surfing or whether it's playing golf or whether it's in your business or whether it's in your neighborhood, wherever it is, wherever you go, may the Lord give you a favor. May God's amazing favor be on you. May God cause you to flourish in leading people to Christ. When you pray for the sick, may they get well. When you turn to the poor, may they be healed. May God put new ideas, new thoughts in your brain about being a justice bringer. May in every way God make us into the place and the people He wants us to be. Amen. Amen. Go home.